Welcome to the 27th edition of the Decolonial Learning Session from RLS, a pan-decolonial network and grassroots organization in Amsterdam. My name is Pravini Baburam and I am uh, the moderator um, of this session. Before I hand it over to Anima, our guest speaker. Uh, but for those of you who are not familiar yet with the Decolonial Learning Sessions, these are monthly sessions, sometimes in English like today, sometimes in Dutch. And if you want to stay up to date, you can follow our newsletter, website, Facebook, and Instagram. The sessions are on a donation basis and therefore accessible to everyone. Um, and we really appreciate you know, your support uh, to be able to offer our speakers a token of appreciation uh, through donation. Today, we'll talk about decolonial ways of engaging in artistic praxis. And I'm very excited to welcome uh, our speaker and a dear, dear friend of mine, uh, Anima Jagruruisen. Anima identifies as a social artist through dance and henna she challenges with other women of color dominant narratives and explores alternative worlds beyond resistance. They create spaces where they can be together, learn through their senses and bodily archives and talk about their experiences and positionalities in relation to each other and life of Earth. Important elements in her art practice are collectiveness, intersectional and decolonial approaches, materiality and her life experiences as a mix of Surinamese, Hindustani and Dutch Seosa descent. Anima is one of the driving forces behind art collective Stories of Katak and Control Alt Identity. Both collectives walk and, as she says, dance different paths and histories, but have one thing in common, fighting for social justice for women of color in the global north, specifically the Netherlands. How can you navigate, negotiate, and claim your space in dominant white institutions, but also exist and thrive outside them? These are questions Anima is engaged with in her work. Her approach to art is to question the idea that art is an individual expression and something separate from life. But how does this work? And how can you make sure those principles sustain when your white environments uh, demand something else? We'll dive into these questions in this decolonial learning session and we'll be guided in this conversation by Anima. Um, and so um, I'm very, Happy to have you here, Anima. I'll I'll hand it over uh, to you and to uh, yeah people who are uh, in the session. Know that you can ask questions in the chat or raise your hand, and uh, everything is recorded and can be viewed on our uh, on our blog. So welcome again, Anima, and the floor is yours. Yes, thank you, Pravini, for your amazing introduction and so happy to be here and to see all you beautiful souls online <laughs> um okay so i prepared a text as well but it's on my right side on another screen so i'll be looking a little bit like this but no i'm still trying to online connect with you while um telling the stories um, so let's just start with a statement first, and that is we are going to talk about decolonial ways of engaging in artistic praxis, but there is not a one-size-fits-all model. As decoloniality also teaches us, everything is situated and context-related. So a decolonial way in artistic practice depends also on what ethics you decide to apply in that specific situation. Let me give you an example. It's tonight, <laughs> something that I have learned while creating Control Alt Identity, 
because Contro-Alt-Identity became an art collective of various artists who are curious, wanting to learn more and re-relate to each other through henna and dance. So the learnings that we experienced in Contro-Alt-Identity were always in togetherness, meaning that if someone invites me or anyone else from the collective to speak about Contro-Alt-Identity, um, we at least go with two persons to represent Contro-Alt. And that is not only to represent a collective, it is also to continue our experiences and learnings from those uh, experiences together that we had already. So it's a continuation every time again and again of a learning process. So for tonight, I would like to do the same with you. And I also discussed it a bit with uh, Pravini because I also think uh, that uh, Pravini has a lot to share and she invited me into the space in the primary setup also to facilitate and moderate. And it was more like, okay, that is very nice, but how can we actually learn more together as well if we're already having this space together? So um, Pravini, thank you for inviting me and for inviting us to uh, the RLS Decolonial Learning Session. I think it is an amazing platform and that you already have so much interesting archive online uh, as well about the, these sessions. All the gratitude also goes to the people behind the scenes of uh, these sessions uh, from uh, RLS. Um, and also, thank you for being open to the suggestion on restructuring this specific learning session. So um, let me check. Um, let's make this learning session also an artistic praxis. Because an artistic praxis is also a learning praxis to me. And to learn about yourself. And more importantly, to learn how you can relate to what is happening in your life, which is also shaped by different environments that you are in. And it happens now that we are all together in this decolonial learning session that I assume that you also want to, to learn something. So one of the decolonial ways I apply is to always seek how we can learn together. And for tonight, I thought it might be interesting to share experiences and stories together instead of me only talking for five, uh, 45 minutes uh, about uh, my artistic uh, practice, uh, practices. Um, but I also know that there are some people who are present and who would just like to listen. And of course, that is also a way of learning. So don't feel obliged to share, just share if you want to share. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason uh, why I thought that might be an interesting setup is because I also know Pravini and she is also carrying a lot of experiences and stories with her, which I think are also valuable to listen to. So even though I, of course, appreciate her asking me for this session, it really felt something to do together. So from that idea, I thought, well, let's invite everybody in this session also to join the conversation. And therefore, I propose the following structure for the coming, I don't know how many minutes, let's say an hour. 
and um, it's divided in three parts. So the first part is uh, with the team, different kinds of oppression. The second part is preparations and negotiations. And the third part is spirituality in artistic praxis. And also um, hi to the people who just joined the, the conversation. Nice that you're here as well. Um, I hope you got the part that it's going to be interactive. If you want to share or reflect, feel free to do so. Um, each part, uh, we start with a story from the art collective, stories of Katak or control alt identity. Every story ends with a question or a dilemma, which you all can dive into or reflect upon. For those who are not familiar with the collectives, I will shortly introduce them to you. So, um, I need to share my screen for that as well. Here we are. Um, and oh yeah, this was the, yeah. So this is Stories of Katak. And um, with Stories of Katak, we strive for the emancipation of Katak in the Dutch cultural sector create the space to learn about the art form and bring out or reinterpret it, uh, or reinterpret marginalized stories of women of color through Katak. By doing so, we try to break with existing stereotypes like Surinamese Hindustani women being calm and silent or the Surinamese Hindustani community being invisible. No, we are invisibilized in many ways, and one of them is through the arts that we connect with. Katak, in this case, is an art where dance, music, and poetry come together from the northern part of India, also the part where most of our ancestors used to live before they were transported like products, forced labor, under the violent system of indentured laborship to Suriname. Because of this, it is my strongest belief that the rhythms, the sounds of the gungurus, dance bells, and its melodies resonate within our bodies who carry our ancestral knowledges. Stories of Katak took place in 2019 and 2023. In total, we organized seven workshops, two talk and dance events, four online interviews, three lecture performances, which are also the biggest productions that we have. Then Control-Alt-Identity. With Control-Alt-Identity, we seek to decolonize as much as possible and create alternative worlds without having to relate to modernity or coloniality. And that's here. It is a more radical approach towards conducting art than stories of Katak. Control-Alt-Identity originated from the idea that I wanted to dance a solo performance. However, being in a COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, creating the short film Umat, which you also can see in the current exposition, A Sense of Brown, and following the online Maria Lugones decolonial summer school in 2021, uh, still in the pandemic, I realized that if I want to pursue social change for women of color, I cannot do this through a solo performance about social critiques. It needed to be the critique and even go beyond that. We need to re-relate to each other. 
So control alt identity became a collective who expresses themselves through an amalgamation of rituals, henna, dance, music, costume designs, expositions, light design, writings, decor, talks, exercises, workshops, photography, videography, and lecture performances. What a difference from the idea of me alone dancing on the stage, right? <laughs> so since 2021, we organized four henna workshops, five dance theater performances, three expositions, amongst others, the Ashanti exposition, and uh, When We Grow Up, six artistic talks, two lecture performances. Furthermore, we also participate in roundtable conversations and contribute with our henna rituals to the initiative 3 May Leave the Fall Verzoek, which is a commemoration of all the victims of the Dutch colonial past. Our costumes are designed by Kaan Karila, whose work you can also see in A Sense of Brown. And last but not least, the very soon the book Beyond Transnational Adoption will be published. Our contribution is an essay where Sheila de Vries and I explore relations between transnational adoption and indentured laborship through our bodily archives. So those are the two collectives. And um, they carry a lot of knowledges and experiences. And from that, um, I would like to start with the three parts that we're um, going to have during uh, this uh, learning session. And uh, the first part, maybe we can take around 20 minutes, um, will be about different oppressions. So, um, what I like to suggest is I will tell a story about it and uh, it ends with some questions and then you're also invited to reflect upon those questions or give a reaction, maybe share uh, something from this story that you connected with so we can extend this learning session also to a more collective process of learning together. All right. So it's November, 2022. So I discussed with the students and other dancers, what would we like to tell this year with stories of Kathak? In 2019, we focused on how to understand Kathak as an art more deeply. This year, we want to build further on those fundaments. One of the reasons stories of Kathak exist is because we cannot get a place in regular programs, meaning, we are not allowed to perform and experience Kathak the way we want to. We already experienced exclusion from the India Dance Festival by the Korsho Theatre, who did not want to facilitate us anymore in performing Kathak with live music. I think our first stories of Kathak proved that we can do perfectly fine without regular programming of white cultural institutions. But what it meant for me is that I also have to be an organizer, my own production house on top of being an artist. So when I will contact theaters to perform stories of Kathak 2023, I doubt if they recognize the oppressions that we are facing, but I hope at least we have a place to perform. However, should I actually approach Corso Theater, which claims to be the place for Indian dance performances in the Netherlands? Under which conditions um, 
do we collaborate with white cultural institutions to perform our own arts? Is the question that came to mind. And I can elaborate further on the strategies and, and the stories that uh, follow up these questions, but maybe um, someone else would like to uh, give a reflection or maybe a reaction on the story that you just heard. Is it maybe familiar to your art practice as well? Um, how do you deal with these kind of situations? And maybe I'm... oh yeah yes <laughs> no I think maybe um, um, also welcoming indeed uh, new um, participants and I know uh, many of the participants indeed have you know um, uh, relations with white institutions also as artists um, so I I also want to um, emphasize the invitation to uh, to share if you uh, want. Um, and perhaps I can um, offer a first reflection and then see if others want to uh, join. Um, and I think the um, question that you raised, Anima, is also about, you know, ideas of accessibility um, to, you know, um, cultural venues that, that uh, claim um, inclusion, but only inclusion <laughs> from a white perspective. And I think um, uh, this is a, a challenge for, um, for instance, you know, artists within the Hindustani community where there's so much uh, diversity alone in, in the way that we engage, for instance, with dance. Um, and that, uh, that diversity is not always uh, acknowledged uh, let alone appreciated, you know, in 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 facilitating those different um, uh, forms of art. So uh, I think one one layer in the challenge is that um, within our community and the diversity that comes along with also the type the types of uh, art expressions we offer, um, it seems to be that the uh, white institutions only have limited space for what they considered Indian <laughs> or Hindustani art, right? So uh, I think uh, this also poses the question for us, to what extent do we want to uh, claim that space? And to what extent are we maybe saying, well, keep your space and we're gonna create our own spaces, alternative spaces, that are no longer uh, relating to the conditions of those white institutions, but that are based on our own autonomous uh, spaces that uh, we set the conditions for. So I think this is one question that I, I think about often. Uh, do we have to claim a seat at the table or do we build our own table in our own house? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also uh, very uh, relatable, uh, especially to the case of um, the dance forms that are uh, presented in uh, a festival, which is also something separate from a regular programming. Um, 
So you're already in an uh, environment that is created specifically for what the white institution thinks is Indian dance. And um, well, we call the country India, <laughs> but it is just like with the Netherlands. I'm I'm from Zeeland. It's such a different culture. So many, even the language is different. Um, of course, you can understand it a bit, but the ch, it they don't speak it so much in in that part of the Netherlands. It's more like a ha. So um, that means that um there's so many differences already in what we now call a nation state but um the problem with that is that you're gonna make it something universal or something homogenic so india is india and india has uh yeah classical dance forms i i say classical um between i don't know the english word <laughs> but yeah quotation marks i think quotation marks, yeah <laughs> so um um and that is just one form of dance from india and there's so many more kinds of dances folk dances just um other um bollywood dances um more kind of uh fusion dances so many different dances more than 120 languages are spoken in that country so the diversity is enormous and um that is a focus on india alone and it's not the focus on diaspora people from india which is another world to explore with so many other um beautiful um, ways of expressing through dance or music and well of course with the Surinamese Hindustani um, diaspora where I'm also a part of it's Bhaitagana uh, or um, we, we uh, well that's a very specific form and I think it's very um, illustrative for why um, that is something that is not programmed in the festival because it's Indian dance, but so many other kinds of dances are excluded from that. And the moment uh, that that happens, then you know that uh, the diversity is not celebrated. It's just a one single story that is happening there. And that is with only with the Indian classical dances. Um, and on top of that, we were actually performing Indian classical dance in its most um, classical way, I would say, <laughs> with live music. That is an integral part of Indian classical dance. It's with live music. And that is something that was denied to us. So even there is um, this way of how to perform is also another layer of complexity that comes within this decision do I want to collaborate with this institution or not because um, it's it's a white like you said it's a wide perspective on diversity and inclusion um, they make it very um, homogenic and on top of that they're controlling the way you want to express your art so by saying you can only dance on recording music, 
you're actually oppressing our art. Um, so um, what I think is that is one of the most um, problematic things is as well that now this theater is known for uh, to be the place for Indian dance and culture because that is how they position it. It's the place for Indian dance and culture. It's not that they say it's the place with another festival like for contemporary dance and culture. No, it's the place for contemporary dance and that's it. So why do we need to go to a white institution to learn about Indian culture? Well, we're actually part of it. So that is another, let's say, um, very cringe way of uh, presenting Indian dance in the Netherlands, um, especially for community. So for who is the art? So for who are you performing? Um, that's another layer of, well, do we want to perform, uh, collaborate further with this institution or not? Because we did uh, perform there also with the live music, but suddenly it was not possible anymore. And I do think that um, one of the things uh, that is also playing a part, which we will also discuss later on, is the finances and um, also the people working in theaters, like how engaged can they even be with an art collective uh, who's performing arts, which did not originate in this part of the world. So who uh, also require different um, techniques, for instance, with the different kinds of microphones, with the live uh, music that is played, or how do you support the dance, which is also an integral part of the music, which means you need to have, like I recently learned, uh, compressor mics on the ground, which always need to be there, um, but are not always present. Mm. So I think those are already quite some layers to tap into like, okay, if these are the conditions, will I collaborate? Yes or no? Is this actually a battleground I want to be in? Because I do think being in this part of the world, in the Netherlands, um, wherever you want to perform your art, either it's you set it up yourself, like the stories of Katak, and then um, check where you want to perform, um, not being regular program, but just your own programming, um, or a guest programming, or co-collaborate programming. They have all kinds of names for it, just not to be regular programming, I think. <laughs> um, you're always in a battleground, whatever you choose. And uh, the question is either, which battleground do you want to choose? Is it the one in a festival designed for Indian dance? Or is it something um, just on the side of the programming, which has maybe a little bit less context, you're a little bit more free in filling it in. Um, 
yeah, those are the questions that uh, that you ask, and I see a hand also from Ruby. Yeah. Hi, um, I have a question. So with Corzo, what you um, just told us, I was wondering how did that con conversation go, and then what you just explained of that this is your culture and that this is how you want to present your uh, dance. What was what were they were their reactions on that? And I know you've worked with other theaters like Theater Dakota or Rotterdam Zeitplein. Uh, I was wondering how those conversations went and what are some green flags that you experienced, if you have any. <laughs> and uh, yeah, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Yes, thank you. Uh, I think uh, a really good question as well. And it also taps on the point, which is one of my personal strategies, with all, which also comes from uh, a decolonial approach, is that um, what decoloniality teaches us is how to rehumanize. Because we've been dehumanized for many, many, many uh, decades and centuries. So in order to rehumanize yourself, I do think you need to see the human and the other person as well. So um, I will, my approach is always uh, first try to see the person who is working in the institution and be aware of the institution also being present in that person's body. Um, and then, you know, if they're willing to make time and to, first to just get to know each other on, an, on a human level, you can already have a sense like, okay, am I going to have an ally? Or is this someone who is more playing by the book? What, what is their um, leverage within the Institute as well? Um, I think that is very important already to sense a little bit and discuss and just be open about it as well because you want to perform or you're seeking for a place to perform. Um, so they can also check in what way they can come to you. And then also see um, like, you know, how open are people to learn because sometimes that's just not the case or how open are people on reflecting on their own practice, because that's also not always the case. Um, because what you're going to do is the moment, for me personally, what we're going to do, if we're going to collaborate, we're not just going to collaborate, we're going to learn together how to eventually re-relate to this part of earth through our arts and how to, um, for uh, feel ourselves more somehow um, homely or present here in a more nice way than always seeing the violence everywhere because that's a given. Um, but it coexists with what you're striving for instead of what you're fighting against. And um, those conversations, um, I help those with this approach. So first check like, hey, how are you doing? Who are you <laughs> as a person? 
and maybe you would like to know me as well. And then let's see how we can take it forward. So um, the collaboration with Southline went like that. The collaboration with uh, Amare went like that. Um, the collaboration with Corso Theatre didn't uh, go uh, like that because we already um, we performed before in Corso Theatre. So our assumption was like, okay, we can do it again and again with the live music. And suddenly it was prohibited. It's like, no, this year you cannot do that. It takes too much time, it's too much effort, uh, too much, too much, too much. You cannot do this. So that came kind of a surprise. And there we were already in a process of just being programmed. While with the other institutions, the other theaters, from the beginning, we were already having the conversations. So that is also a difference. Can I ask you a follow-up question, Anima, um, in relation to you know the example of working with a certain institution and then um, uh, all of a sudden there's a, a shift in uh, in you know uh, the decisions they make, so it's not consistent with you know the um, uh, the opportunities you you had before. Do you know or feel? Um, or do you know if it's related to an individual at that moment in time who is responsible for this course? And so is that, uh, is that uh, opportunity linked to the willingness of an individual professional in a certain institution? And so depending on the individual, we have those opportunities or not. So we have allies or not. Or was it a policy shift? So no matter the individual, um, uh, it is the policy that, that uh, you know, restricted those opportunities. I don't know if you can say something about to which extent it's, it's you know, um, linked to individual or policy uh, decisions. Yeah. Um, honestly, they have not been transparent at all about that decision. So uh, besides me asking uh, why this sudden change, what happened, maybe we can figure something else out, um, how we can perform, look for uh, alternatives. Um, that to me is not quite clear as still today. Um, I do know that we were the only ones uh, with with the live music. Um, so maybe in comparison to the effort they had to put in with the other performances, they thought this is maybe out of proportion. I don't know. Um, regardless, I think um, you should facilitate the artists. Um, and, and how they imagine um, how they would bring their stories to the audience as well. Um, I do think it is a problem often though, that um, we are dependent on the goodwill of one person. Um, and I, it's more a sense 
than um, a very rational explanation, but <laughs> it is a sense that um, with the networks that um, we're building, um, it still is much very personal than uh, on a more policy level, yeah. All right, uh, thank you also for um, uh, responding to that question. Um, can I suggest um, to, uh, considering the time, um, see if we can um, uh, engage with the second question? And, and I think that's also um, maybe organic uh, shift, but I do see patients <laughs> uh, and so I do want to give you the opportunity, but I just wanted to give you um, a yeah, notification of the time. Anna. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think Keisha can respond. Um, your mic. You can hear me now or not? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the invitation to uh, point me on this session. And um, um, I recognize a lot what you are sharing, Anima, of course, because we have also uh, one year experience together. For the others, good to know I work for Amare. Uh, I don't have to deny it. It's a white institution with a lot of uh, white people working there. And um, um, I learned a lot from you the last year, Anima, because I think uh, I, I uh, am a program, so a curating uh, responsibility. And um, um, I think a lot of programmers, uh, me myself uh, included, uh, uh, it's difficult to have a very wide expertise in all the disciplines uh, from all over the world. So it's... Um, so it needs an other sort of attitude uh, to be open. Uh, and I think it's true that uh, uh, many times uh, it's on individual level, if you will encounter an open person and uh, if you can learn uh, together. I think I do that with you, Anima, I hope so. And I, uh, but uh, I think there, yeah, you also will meet uh, um, programs of other people that are, yeah, they are in the focus, the way they do it in their system. Uh, but I also see there is a yeah, development going on that also the policy is changing in those institutions. And um, well, we all know it's going, that's going slow, but uh, that's, uh, so you need both. Eh? It's of course, uh, you need good individuals, but you also need the policy that uh, will take care that things are open. Um, yeah, so that's what I want to share for, for now. There's a lot to say, but um, uh, yeah, I recognize a lot of what you are saying, Anima. And um, um, yeah, um, yeah, I think the wide perspective is quite dominant in uh, yeah, uh, what is programmed and what not, and also how it is received. Uh, yeah. I hope I pronounced myself correctly. <laughs> yes, thank you, Geisha. Uh, okay. Then, uh, Fazel, can you? Uh... Yeah, 
puzzle can indeed, uh, I mean, you know, uh, if there's uh, people who want to respond, then uh, yeah. that's, um, that's good. Give them the floor for sure. Hi, thank you so much for this talk. Sorry, I won't show my face today, but I actually don't so much want to respond. I have another question, but I'm going to keep it very short. And that is has particular to do with the framing uh, of professionals, semi-professionals and amateurs in the Netherlands and how that corresponds to uh, specific disciplines as well. And therefore also budgeting right um talking about policymakers maybe it yeah, taps a little bit into that um but maybe you can shine a bit of light on that as well how you are experiencing this kind of framing or to what extent uh, you have been able to have those kinds of conversations yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> yes thank you for and i think that is um one of the biggest um, dividers we have in uh, in this cultural sector, this division between professional and amateur. I don't know how many times I have been seen not as a professional, literally said to me, Anima, you're not professional. You're not a professional dancer. You're not a professional henna artist. You're not a professional. So they're very professional at saying that. And um, because they are also, you know, when institution, institutions tell me that, I am there in my free time trying to create spaces for us to perform our arts. They are there in their paid time. So what do you actually mean with this professional? I think it's a really uh, a, a strategy of keeping certain art forms out, certain uh, peoples out, because it's uh, related to what we think or what they think that quality is. So the higher the quality, how better your professional are. Um, I also, came across a definition that you're a professional when you're getting paid for your art. If you're not getting paid for your art, then you're not a professional. So that's another perspective on that term. Um, I would suggest we would lose those terms though, um, because also uh, with the division of uh, funds, the big monies go to professional, what is considered professional art. And professionalism is a white, professionalism the quality standards are white quality uh, standards or criteria um, and uh, I can give an example from from my uh, Katak experiences is that um, when I perform Katak with the Indian um, yeah let's say with with the aesthetics with the lots of bright colors with the gungurus the dance bells with the with the jewelry um, then it's perceived as less professional and then um, in this India dance festival you had this double bill where you have the traditional Indian dance and then you have the contemporary Indian dance. And that is all in one performance. So first you see the traditional, then you see the contemporary. And that is to show how Indian dance can also modernize 
and become more professional, um, which is very problematic because it actually says you need to adjust your art in order to thrive here and to be uh, regarded as a professional. So, um, yeah, that is a bit my take on it. Uh, yeah. Ask a follow-up question, Anima, and perhaps also I think this also relates to you know the, the next theme that you wanted to address in terms of negotiations, right? And um and and those those types of conversations with institutions. Uh but when it comes to this division between professional and amateur, uh you mentioned the financial aspect of it. To what extent do you think it's also related to this idea of education? that once you have completed the arts academy, you're a professional because then you have a legitimate paper to say, yes, you have a certain um, uh, quality degree. And what does this mean for uh, artists uh, like yourself uh, who don't even have an academy for Katak in the Netherlands or resources to go to an arts academy you know, because of um, um, the the migrational uh, the migration uh, uh, histories that we we uh, we come from. So I'm also curious to, to hear your take on uh, the education uh, in relation to you know refining our art form. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, well, um, it not having the papers. Or maybe, you know, I have also um, certificates from India, like you participated in this workshop and in that. But even if you have like uh, a four-year education out, uh, outside the Netherlands and um, you're showing those papers here, then do not always mean something. Um, because it's coming from, uh, let's say, uh, the South. And I know it's not only within the arts, but also with other kinds of uh, studies, uh, those papers are not recognized or even valued uh, as much as um, a diploma or certificate that you gain here. Um, and that has been very difficult because exactly it also uh, taps on whether you're considered a professional or not. Mm um and it also um yeah i think that um with the urban arts there um especially with um i think also with uh the theater rotterdam with uh, alida dors she also uh, explains in um her performances in in the stat van the theater the state of the theater um how still urban arts are still considered as amateur and not professional arts and when it's amateur art it's good for children so they can get acquainted with arts and um but it's not for a uh, adult audience to go to a theater and look at a beautiful uh performance or something like that so even there uh an art form um, that is quite prominent in the Netherlands um, is not uh, still valued uh, as such either. And there's no education. There was no education in that, except for the cipher 
That is at least what I got from the performance of Alida. And now it's getting institutionalized into art educations. But then uh, also the question is, that's just another um, white environment in how to learn an art. So what does that to the soul of the art where it originated from? Mm, puzzle. Sorry, yes, I'm here again. Um, thanks for sharing this. And as you were talking, I continued to think and actually started to make more link with uh, the previous person who who commented. Um, because in the policy, um, there needs to be some shifts, definitely. But what we actually see is that a lot of institutions, theater institutions, are very skilled in finding their way to funding. So one of the things that we see in the Netherlands is that the theater sector is very much divided by okay we have come more community art base the local theaters in the neighborhoods and then you have like the more national theaters and they are programming as well much more kind of professional arts and what we've see, been seeing in in different cities but also on a national level is that um theaters find ways for example such as an india dance festival to get funding from different spaces including those that are like traditionally more uh connected to uh amateur arts or community-based arts uh and budget from the professional uh field as well um Mm -hmm. And theater, so theaters actually have a huge power as institutions, how to frame these things and to break away as well. But we often see that it's mostly used in the um, advan advantage of the theater itself. And there is very little transparency of uh, what payment looks like across a context, across different uh um uh, programmings within a theater we have to continuously figure this out and there of course are new um guidelines for this such as the fair practice the code for fair practice but even the code of fair practice actually says fairly little about how to, to deal with these kinds of uh issues um so yeah i just wanted to actually comment on that and of course your thoughts and visions uh very welcome or your reflections and also your specific practice yeah um well this conversation is taking uh, taking its uh, journey um let me check if i can connect your question puzzle to also the next story that i actually wanted to share about the preparations and the negotiations um, I think I can do that. So if it's okay, I would like to share uh, another story, which is another experience from one of the art collectives from Control Alt Identity this time. And then uh, I will take along uh, your reflection as well, Fossil, uh, about uh, the transparency and the funds and who decides upon who gets what and the skills. Okay, so preparations and negotiations from control alt identity. <clears throat> yes, hello. My name is Anima Jagru Ruysen and I am a maker or an artist. I want to create a solo dance performance. Would you be interested in a co-production? 
Hi, Anima. It sounds very interesting. Let's plan a call and talk about it. A few months later. It was quite a ride, but yes, the funds got approved and we can start. A few months later. Hi there. As you might have noticed, I'm not dancing a solo performance anymore. Um, now we have four dancers, rituals, henna workshops, and plans for expositions. Also, it would be nice if the artist of the expositions could also get a reimbursement. Hi, Anima. That all sounds very interesting. I will connect you with my colleague who coordinates the community projects and the floor managers who will coordinate your henna workshops. The floor manager. Hi, Anima. We have new tables and chairs and a new floor. So we do not want henna to stain. So we will put plastic everywhere to protect our furniture. Uh, Nima, well, that is not very environmental friendly, I think. And a bit of the opposite I want to create as an ambience. Well, this is how we are going to protect our furniture from the henna. What this experience shows is the many people involved from the theater side. We have coordinators on a more strategic level, but also operational level, which you have to collaborate with. For example, the floor managers. Those floor managers really have an influence on what you as an artist try to create. Where do you stand your ground and where do you choose the pragmatics? So that is the question. And those are also the dilemmas that I uh, experienced a lot with control alt identity because we were growing and growing and growing, which was very amazing and fantastic. Um, and that is because we were connecting with each other outside the institutions. So of course, um, we were also connected through our own networks that we have, and we were getting to know each other as well. And through controlled identity, um, that happened also a lot. And what we tried to do is like, okay, but how can we make sure that this institute um, can keep facilitating the stories that we want to share and the worlds that we want to create uh, together? And um, negotiating budgets is one of those. And as you could hear in the story as well, I got connected with uh, the coordinator for community projects. So that's also the division that you were talking about, Fossil, for getting funds for community projects, um, but also getting funds for what is considered professional uh, productions and arts. And um, just to give you uh, an insight is that I did choose uh, uh, pragmatics with the henna workshop and uh, plastic. So it was a little bit horrible though, um, being on a plastic table with the message of re-relating to earth. Um, but I had to do that because I needed to negotiate the budgets uh, for the expositions to be held. 
and that was a bit more important to me at that moment I had to prioritize and of course the preference is that you do not have to do that but well that was the situation um, at that time um, the funds that I got approved as well um, were funds aimed at helping me as an artist to develop my artistic practice more mm. and um, so control alt identity was an amalgamation or how do you say it was a finance mix of different kinds of uh, grants so it was national grant local grants and also um, budgets from theaters themselves. And that is how we could uh, make it happen. And for me personally, that was a lot of search, a lot of research doing into this whole world of funds. I don't know what all is there. Um, the theater did help me a bit with the budget for Mm, the national grants but the local grants they could not because they were in Rotterdam and the local grants were from The Hague so that is also the division within grants discussion so 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 many layers um, and what I did notice is yeah it is very nice to have someone who is getting paid to write the grants search the grants know which one fits your project um, because that is uh, a knowledge and a network that I simply did not have, especially not at that time. Um, another thing that uh, was also there is um, that the coordinator of the co-production, um, she did fight her battles for us within the Institute as well. So um, even though it was not very sure if the budgets could be there, they figured out, did some puzzling, which I don't know exactly what the puzzle was about, but they got the budgets for the expositions, for instance. Um, she was also pressured for the theater halls to be uh, rented out. So um, since there's a lot, those theater halls are, uh, a lot of the times they need to be full and they need to be rented out. They need to uh, have performances, they need to have audiences. So um, when we made the agreements, the agreement was also that we would have, uh, except for one day, the whole week in the theater hall to create Control-Alt-Identity dance performance. But then um, the theater also asked the person that we were collaborating with to ask us to give, uh, give up one day, which for us was one day of light designing um, in order for them to have, uh, I don't know how to say it exactly, a rent out. So they could commercially rent out the theater hall. That would give more revenue for the theater. So for me, when she explained that to me, was also a realization that I did not really have before is that those theaters also are very big machines which need to have their revenues. And that really felt like 
okay, it's called a theater, but I can also consider this an enterprise. And uh, yeah, that is something that didn't click in my mind before, but I think it is an important realization to understand also how the dynamics within such a theater also work and how decisions are made. Are there maybe some uh, reflections or maybe uh, is there also someone else who would like to share their experience they had with the theater? What I also find uh, a very unfair standard is also uh, the focus on audience for those uh, theaters. And I think that the grants also ask for that, um, is that when you're programmed, um, you're only successful when you have a full house. While I have been to some contemporary dance performances and things, and it was only me and nine other people sitting there but they were fully funded. There is no pressure there to get your audience into the house, to have that full house. So um, that is what I also felt a bit with Control Alt Identity. It's actually uh, a dance theater performance designed on a big stage, <laughs> but to have intimate conversations. But the designs of the theaters are, if you have a big stage, then you also have a lot of audience. And for us, it was actually, we need to have a big stage, but give us just 30 chairs, that's fine. So there's also a tension there in how the buildings are designed and how um, also the idea about uh, what is performing then in those halls, in those theater halls. That's also with some kind of dominant idea that doesn't always fit like how we would like to express, especially as control-alt identity, I would say. Yeah. Thank you also, uh, Anima, for those reflections. I just wanted to uh, give you a heads up that it's uh, that we have about 15 minutes left uh, before wrapping up this uh, session. Yeah, thank you. So um, I would like to ask, is there maybe someone who would also like to share that you really felt that you were put into a difficult decision maybe, that you had to stand your ground um, or that you felt like, oh no, I need to be pragmatical right now because dot, dot, dot. Um, I, I can say something. <laughs> yes, hi, Sergini. <laughs> Hello, thank you, Anima and Pravini, for hosting this. And uh, I mean, I'm not in the theater world, so uh, I think I would just like to reflect on the way uh, perhaps the media reflects on, you know, um, how we got together with the collective to write about uh, the response on the article and how I desperately tried to get Groene Amsterdammer on board, for example. 
And that uh, I also noticed that with Kevita's uh, project, uh, when we grow up, that I try to do the same thing. I try to get like NRC and a few other uh, media on board. And that I was so surprised that nobody, uh, absolutely nobody uh, is responding uh, from like from the cultural, um, you know, uh, the cultural department and I actually do think this has a connection to everything what you are mentioning in how people reflect or uh, respond to a certain type of cultural uh, performances because I think there needs to be uh, if there's no reflection on this niche right by writers or by journalists or any reflection for a bigger public to get to understand this niche then it means that it's not recorded uh, in a way because you can't read back in on the newspaper or magazines or reflections. And I feel, uh, I, uh, from my point of view, ha having gone through this like two times, one uh, with our uh, article that we uh, were look, yeah, we were kind of browsing that who would be interested and who would be a relevant public to, read our response with the four people who wrote about this um how, how did we call this uh, kind of a collective view basically on how uh how um the hindustani migration was portrayed in a very um yeah a, a way that uh, we really felt the anima really felt the need that we should uh, collectively respond to this and uh, that it's not picked up any uh, any by any uh, sort of white media or sort of Dutch uh, newspapers or uh, so I feel there's a big uh, censorship there in my opinion and in order to be also taken seriously with budgets and like kind of you know theaters art spaces and everything I feel there needs to be uh, also some kind of media writing about this you know and not only from our own community so I feel, uh, of course, the strength is from your own community, I feel, because you can unite with your voice. But also I felt that, yeah, why is, why, why is it not picked up? Because other things are, and certain other, it's not that there's nothing about this. And um, yeah, I, so I was just, I don't know, maybe people can reflect on this or, you know, uh, does it all depends on personal context or personal people you know in uh, working somewhere that they will write uh, upon this so i'm i'm just quite confused why this was not picked up by any media and why yeah uh why why uh why they are afraid to write about this or why they they're unfamiliar with writing on, for example, Hindustani queer or female, and um, I don't know, em emancipation perspectives. I'm quite confused about that, right? I, I think Anima knows what I'm talking about since we tried to do the article. So I, no I don't know if it's clear for everyone what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was just uh, surprised about like, how come it's not, uh, there's so little written, right? About performances from Indo-Caribbeans or, uh, you know, you do see Surinamese um, um, artists or some writers, but yeah, not, not uh, much from a different perspective, I would like to say. 
yes actually or my um, my response to what what you're saying um uh, and out like i've been questioning that for quite some time and i still actually want to because i really stopped the groene amsterdammer because i wanted to know why uh, the topic is not interesting uh, for them being a green and leftist space so-called i would like to know you know why why it's why is this topic not interesting and i think at a certain point like someone said well i think now you can just give up because we have been having the meeting about this but i can't tell you the reason why it's not interesting for you know to write about or why uh so first there was uh, the so-called idea of like an invitation for us to come there and meet them and then um, the next week it's like silent so i don't know i thought that was quite odd in my in my and i'm still thinking like why is there no response or can they not, uh, not give an argument why why it is not interesting for them because i feel like also if i can fill it in if they give an argument they might be afraid that they're politically incorrect right so i don't know it's just very strange in my opinion maybe some someone else had a similar experience i don't know but anyway to connect to your topic i think for me it was just to say that if nobody's writing right about these performances or if there's no space in the cultural uh, sectors of newspapers or cultural magazines reviewing art space uh, uh, then it's difficult also to sort of break through that boundary, I feel. Yes. Yeah, thank you for your reflection, Sorogeny. Yeah. Um, well, I also do feel it taps into the subject of, um, well, your question is why do they not want to publish it? Um, does it have to do with that they have to um kind of uh, choose sides mm -hmm. uh, so maybe there's this idea of being neutral and uh, staying objective um which i think is quite prominently uh, quite dominantly present especially in mass media um which of course we all know it's not because everything is political. So that means power yeah. is everywhere. And uh, that's also something that is very much present within uh, the performing arts as well, because you have this idea about art for the art. And I just want to have my individual expression. And um, that's not related to anything of my environment or my surroundings. But I say that's a political choice as well. So what those papers are also doing is making the political choice of not publishing a story that is, that is also something that needs to be heard. And that is also what um, is my experience, especially with control alt identities, when I say, no, we're here for uh, not just to perform and give you a beautiful evening, because that um falls under your idea of what art should be no yeah. we're here actually to pursue social change social mm -hmm. change on many levels not only on being present on stage as brown bodies which is already something that we haven't seen much before let alone 
um, supporting each other on stage because we still have to suffer from those divide and conquer politics by the colonizers. Um, so um, being very uh, firm and outspoken about that is I think, especially in a Dutch context still, unfortunately, but uh, very scary for all those white spaces that are also designed on not to discuss topics like race or, um, yeah. And that also what Spurini is uh, saying about the white interpretation about diversity and inclusion. It's still from a white perspective, but what does that say about our stories that we have to share from our perspectives? Um, Thank you also for um, for those reflections. I, I just want to uh, mention we have five minutes left and I know Anima, you had a, th a third and final uh, theme you wanted to discuss. If you still want to, uh, I do think uh, now would be then a good time uh, to share that if you wanted to, or if you want to continue with just the, these two, that's fine too. Leave it up to you. Thank you. Oh, I think it's nice to continue to the next uh, uh, and final story of this evening. Um, it's about spirituality in artistic praxis. So <clears throat> here we go. Hi all, I am so happy to see you. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. It's from uh, an example from Control-Alt Identity. So hi all, I'm so happy to see you again and thank you for signing up to become part of the dance theater performance. In the next three months, we will dive into our bodily archives and explore in different ways what stories live within us. I will guide you in that and from time to time, we will also invite other teachers or coaches to be with us. Together with the henna workshops we organized in the previous months, uh, together with the henna workshops that we organized in the previous months, we will create the narrative of our dance performance and our movements. And we will see what will emerge from that. I have no idea. I have no idea about the structure, about the music, but I know it will become something special. Each session we will have divided in a talk and a movement exploration. So how to start? Let's decide together. Let's start with a talk. Okay, then let's talk. We started talking for more than two hours. The week after, we talked again for more than two hours and we talked. And then we danced a bit and we talked. Okay, if this is what we do as a group process, if this is what we need, talking instead of dancing, okay, then let's just talk. Trust the process, I'm thinking. It will give me also a bit of more time to figure out how to merge these four totally different bodies and develop a better sense of this process as well. How can I merge this together? Okay, let's talk. Maybe let's dance a little bit more. It will be okay. Somehow, somehow I just know that, but it's so exciting. Okay, I know I have to do this. This is the right thing to do. Okay, breathe. I trust my body. 
I trust the henna. I trust us. This is just a fragment of me guiding and also trying to create a part of the dance uh, in controlled identity. And um, for me in this moment, everything also comes together with all the negotiations that you have with the cultural institutions, um, that you're a community organizer. We also have to find each other um, and that you do not um, get soaked into or even drown in those whole powerful structures of the institutions that you're working with, of the financial responsibility that you have. Do I did not even think about insurances. Luckily, that came afterwards when somebody told me about it, because if I had known about that, <laughs> it would have been even more exciting. It's a lot of responsibility for one person to carry that. So you have to have your community. You have to be together. You have to trust us. But I still think um, that can be better organized a lot um, here so in in in, uh, in Netherlands and, and in the sector. Um, the main message also from this is don't drown, but trust on other knowledges that live within you, within me, within us, because I strongly believe that we carry within our bodies the ancestral knowledges that have gone, uh, gone before us, that are still present within us, and that we need to get in touch with them again because they are being oppressed because of the daily lives that we're born into. So we are forced into this system. But our bodies carry the knowledges also on how to trust and thrive outside these systems while we're still literally living here. And that is um, also operating and dealing in a different manner, also in sense of time. Um, because it doesn't stop a creation process of a process that you're started together doesn't stop when you leave the studio. No, you carry it within you and you carry it further. And I think that is something very powerful because those are still the relations that we hold within us through the art that we practice. Um, and that is also something that can help you uh, maybe even transform your artistic practice from being very targeted because I was, I was really stressed in how are we going to actually dance on stage because we need to present something. Um, but because of the talking, which was really a means on how to connect more to each other, 
we got to know each other, I feel at least on, on deeper levels than only um, thinking of we need to dance something together. And I also think that is something eventually that we also were able to show on stage without words. So yeah, we used a lot of words because it's still a dominant form of communicating. But when we started dancing, so we left, we talked about it and we started moving. Um, other ways of speaking appeared, other ways of connecting appeared, also with the henna workshops. And I took those knowledges and those experiences, those senses that I had um, as guidelines and as teachers. And um, so this beautiful planning that we made with the whole schedule and this day from this time to this time had to let it go. Um, and I think one of the most powerful scenes we have created through this process, which is the end of the performance, which I sincerely hope because Ruby is also in it, one of the dancers. <laughs> that we were able to uh, dance it again. Um, because those spaces that we create on our own with each other are much more powerful than the negotiations, whether to have plastic on the table or not. So you choose your spaces and where you really want to involve with your full being. I'm not my full being in a theater when I'm negotiating. I do feel I can be my full being and give when I'm dancing with Ruby, for instance. Um, and what I want to say with that as well is what you uh, can also see is how controlled identity grew. That is not uh, with the help of the institutions. No, it was there before we got the funds. It was there before we were initiating. And even though we didn't know each other yet, what literally was set in the creation process of Control-Alt-Identity and what we sincerely feel and what became a guideline for my artistic practice as well is we have always been connected. And that is something we should never forget. Thank you so much, uh, Anima, for um, uh, yeah those beautiful uh, closing uh, words and remarks. Um, and I think you know uh, what what I at least take from uh, everything that you've shared so far is you know to keep in mind the bigger picture. Indeed, what are you fighting for? To to remember that we are indeed all connected and that we need to, um, uh, we can negotiate those spaces uh, because we know what we're doing it for and who we're doing it for. And that in, in, in the end, um, we have uh, that space together where we can you know, do things on our own terms and whatever planning we, we shared with the funds uh, will be out the window anyway. <laughs> So um, thank you so much for guiding us uh, through this conversation. 
we do have to uh, wrap up. Uh, so I am going to thank you, Anima, for um, uh, for your amazing reflections and for sharing, being so open also about the the way that you have engaged in um, in your artistic uh, uh, practice and to everyone who joined the conversation today um, and uh, contributed to the conversation. Um, uh, this was a decolonial learning session from Arales, a pan-decolonial network and organization in Amsterdam. Uh, for more interviews and or information, please visit our website, YouTube channel or Facebook page. There you will find our blog page where we also share recordings from other sessions. And um, reading and viewing tips will be sent by email in a handout after the session. And the tips will also be published on our blog. So if you're interested in more um, information and resources on uh, decolonial uh, practices, artistic practices, uh, you can uh, check out the, the handout. And if you want to stay informed about the, the decolonial learning sessions, you can sign up for our newsletter. I want to remind you also once again that donations are always welcome for cost of sessions and reimbursements of our speakers. And information to donate can be found in the description on our website. So thanks again to everyone who joined us and hope to see you next time.